The reading tonight is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you, indeed? You are our glory and joy. Good evening. Well, tonight we're looking at a, another fascinating passage of Paul. I've called this talk the credentials of a Christian worker from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you could open your Bibles again, I'd be very grateful. Many of us can look back at times when... <laughs> We've been treated badly, unfairly. People didn't understand what was going on. Now, Paul was treated, if I may use the pun, appallingly. First in Philippi, where he was beaten with Silas, then put in prison. And then he went on to Thessalonica, where he was only there for three weeks. But then there were riots at the instigation of the Jews who'd come from uh, Philippi. And he had to leave there. And what was his offence? 
All he wanted to do was to share the gospel, the news about Jesus. Now, our passage today uh, teaches us that Paul, although he was an ordinary man, he was motivated and fired up by an extraordinary spirit. And it's the same spirit that we've been given. We're going to look at the three sections in, uh, in this passage. But before we do that, let's pray that God will open our eyes to what he wants to say to us. Father, thank you that you've given us your word to teach us, to direct us. Lord, please speak to us today. Lord, help us to know more clearly the purpose that you've called us for. For Christ's sake. Amen. Well, the three sections in this passage are very clearly Paul's purpose, Paul's heart, and then Paul's method. His purpose, his heart, his method. So let's start off with Paul's purpose. Can you look at verse 2? We dared to tell you the gospel in the face of fierce opposition. God gave Paul that courage and that passion to keep on sharing with people the news about Jesus when others had found the pressure too much and they'd given up. I don't know if you uh, know the book The Robe. It was quite the rage some time ago. The American author, Lloyd Douglas, had been a minister. And he wrote this book, The Robe, as a novel about the crucifixion of Jesus. His biographer says that he gave up being an ordained minister because he was tired of standing in the pulpit and telling people how to behave. That's not what the gospel is about. Paul understands the, the great responsibility he had. Look at verse 4. He saw himself as one of those who'd been approved by God. You see, the motivation of Paul's life was to please God. Paul had done, uh, realised that Jesus had done so much for him, he wanted to spend his life for Jesus. In another letter he wrote to, uh, to the Romans in chapter 14, Anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God. And that's what he wanted to be. And when you see people serving God so sacrificially, it's very attractive. John Williams worked in the city of London. Uh, he was an avid reader, so much so that he arranged for Penguin to send him all their new publications. And one day he received the four Gospels, uh, a new translation by Dr. E.V. Rue. And faithfully he started to read it. Every morning as he travelled by train into the city, uh, he would read a bit. And then when he went back, he'd read it in the evening. He'd finished Matthew, he'd started Luke. Anyway, one day he's travelling home late and he was reading uh, 
the four Gospels. He'd got as far as Luke's description of the crucifixion. There were two other men in the carriage. One was an Englishman and the other an American. Suddenly the Englishman had a fit and fell to the ground. And the American, very casually but professionally, stood up, loosened his collar, took his handkerchief out and put it in his mouth so he didn't clinch and bite his tongue. And the American then explained, he said, look, uh, I'm so sorry, but this happens several times a week. You see, we were in the Korean War together. I was wounded and left in no man's land. And this American uh, came, sorry, this Englishman came and carried me to safety. When we thought we'd got to a safe position, a shell landed near us and the next thing we knew that we were in hospital. I was invalided out of the army and went back to the States. But when I heard that the Englishman would never get better, I left my job, broke off my engagement and came to England to look after him. You see, he did that for me. There's nothing I cannot do for him. The Englishman and the American left the train at the next stop and John Williams continued reading. But the words resonated. He did that for me. There's nothing I cannot do for him. Suddenly, he closed the book. He knelt down in the carriage and he gave his life to Christ. Now, last week... I do hope you heard that uh, talk on 1 Thessalonians 1. If you haven't, please do listen to it. In the, this chapter, we learnt that the gospel came to the Thessalonians. The gospel changed them. And the gospel then sent them out. So here we've got... Paul's ministry. He was an ordinary man and he understood this. Jesus did this for me. There's nothing that I cannot do for him. Look, verse 2, he dared to tell you that his gospel. Verse 4 again, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, his gospel. Look at verse 9. We preached the word of God. The gospel of God to you. Our message is not that of a denomination. It's the gospel of God. The news about Jesus that everybody all need to hear. Look, look again at verse 2. Look, it's his gospel. Look at verse 8. It's the gospel of God. And look at verse 9. It's the gospel of God. Christians, we do need to ask ourselves, are we all sharing this love for Jesus? Is this longing uh, to let those around us know about this? Just look at 2.13. 
When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it naturally is, it actually is the word of God. This is a frequent idea in scripture. I was recently reading through 2 Timothy and the same idea is there. 1 verse 12, it talks about the gospel being entrusted to him, to Paul. In verse 14, it talks about the gospel being entrusted by Paul to church leaders. And then in 2 verse 2, Paul writes, entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. And so the gospel goes out. Paul's purpose was to share the gospel about Jesus. And he calls us repeatedly to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Now, why is Paul so convinced that the, ap the Apostles' Gospel, the Gospel that he teaches, must be taught. Well, it's because it's the only way people can get right with God. It's the only way our sins can be forgiven. But there are other reasons. It has a remarkable training and unifying effect on the church. Look at verse 14. The Judean churches were very similar to the Thessalonian church because they were built on the same foundation, the word of God. So, let's move on now from his motive to his heart, Paul's heart. Verse 3, the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Not error. See these three things? Lies do spread very, very rapidly, far quicker than truth. And there are today many around us who are promoting ideas that are not in accord with God's gospel. People are so easily seduced by passionate enthusiasm of a speaker on a video Instead of asking themselves, is what this person, what Jesus emphasised? Is it what Jesus' apostles emphasised? Is it the thrust of scripture? Today, people think everything is relative. They wonder, how can I know what's right? What is right? is what God has teach, taught us in his word. So, we've got to be careful in our teaching. We're teaching God's truths. But then it goes on, you see, impure motives. The Greek word here uh, implies sexual motives of some kind, a sensuality. Now, how churches of all denominations have been blighted by leaders who've got sexual motives for their ministry. Paul could say, I wasn't like that. Today, there's an emotional 
form of Christianity being emphasized, saying it's what you feel what matters. It's not what you feel, it's what you do. It opens the door, this feelings idea, to all sorts of manipulation. <laughs> There's a sect in London called the Church of God who encourage their female students to draw young men to the church by what they called love bombing, using sexuality to pull people in. That's not wise. But actually relationships are important. Uh, just look at verses 7 and 8 here. Just as a wise nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Relationships are absolutely vital, but not just the maternal type of relationship. Look on to verse 11. We dealt with each of you as a father deals with his children. So effective church, growth in a church must be com a combination of that maternal care and paternal direction, discipline. We must care for each other. We've got to get close to each other. Now, we all know there's a danger, particularly today. Our motives will be misunderstood. But that's no excuse for staying apart from people. Well, Paul's motives were misunderstood. But we must spend time with people without smothering them. There's another interesting little chunk here. Look at verse 7. We were like young children among you. What does that mean? It's, it's probably the right translation. I don't know if you've seen, or you must have done, young children uh, running around in the playground, so enthusiastic, uh, chatting to different people, making new friends. Paul's saying, that's what Christians should be like. The gospel matters so much. We've got to have this enthusiasm. So... We've got to be wise uh, how we do things. But then the last one, not trying to trick you. There's various forms of trickery going on. Salesmen. We're not salesmen. We're here to share good news with people. It's quite easy to stir up people's emotions uh, as, a, as a trickery. And Evangelist finished his uh, service with an appeal. He asked everyone to close their eyes and then asked people to stand up who would like to open their lives to Christ. No, that's not wrong. But there wasn't any response. So then he said it again. And he started saying things, God bless you. Thank you, thank you. God be with you. But a man at the back had his eyes open. And no one had opened their eyes. No one had stood up. Oh, that's a great shame, isn't it? 
to manipulate people. Christians follow the, the truth of God. We try to put it clearly, but we must be truthful. Satan has blinded the eyes of people so that they cannot see the beauty of God's creation, the beauty of meaning in the world, that there are things called truth, there are things called love. These all come from God and it's a lie that he's not there. It's hard work when we do see few people responding to this message. Paul found it hard too. I was interested reading in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, at the beginning. He was saying, look, we've got this ministry uh, and we're tempted to lose heart, but we don't lose heart. We can see that people around are being blinded. But listen to what he says. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth clearly, plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. So let's move on now to the third point, Paul's method. His method is to teach the truth that God has given us. Now, in verses 5 and 6, can you notice there are three nevers? Never use flattery. I don't know if you've seen people on television, uh, on the breakfast shows. They're always flattering each other. We must tell the truth. But, Mark, you must be careful here. You know, children are told, always tell the truth. No, you don't always tell the truth. If someone's fat or they're ugly, you don't say that. No, we've got to be balanced. We've got to be pleasant to people. We want to hear what they've got to say. We mustn't be rude because it's the relationship that enables Christ to be attractive. You see the third, second never? No lover of money. I love the, uh, that bit in Samuel at the end of his life, in 1 Samuel 12, 3. He describes what he worked for. And he says, I didn't cheat people. Here I stand, he said, testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Who have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? He says, I didn't do things like that. It's so worrying today to hear of American, Nigerian ministers, many others who feather their own nest in this world whilst heading up churches and Christian organisations. What's that say about Christ? Did Jesus do that? Did the apostles do that? 
What are they living for, really? Well, the third point, nor seek glory from man. A wise leader doesn't seek to be deferred to always, always to sit on the top table. We need to move on from this. We've got to be like John the Baptist. He was very famous and popular, but he pointed people to Jesus. Paul's method was basically, it's hard work. Look at verse 9. He works his socks off. There's no nine to five, uh, five day ministry here. Remember our toil and hardship, he says. We worked night and day. Verse 10. We were holy, righteous, blameless, encouraging, comforting and urging. What a wonderful characteristic. Urging what? That people should live lives worthy of God. Today we'd be constantly on the phone, on WhatsApp. Reminding people, just by our presence, that God matters. Well, we've seen Paul's purpose. That's to win others for Christ. He does that by what he says and the way he lives. Paul's heart is to be a man of integrity. And his method teach the word of God. As Paul said to Timothy, do you remember that wonderful bit at the end of 2 Timothy, just before he died, he gives this injunction, preach the word, be in season, out of season. Why? So that people may be saved. What about us? Be imitators of Christ as we are imitators, Uh, sorry, be imitators of us, as we are imitators of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. We are all meant to be sent out for Christ. Does God see me as a, a hard worker for him? Am I speaking out for Christ? Am I willing to suffer for him by putting my head above the parapet? Oh, there are many pressures on us. Look, verse 16. Many pressures that are trying to stop us speaking to the Gentiles, to the non-Christians, those outside the church. Why? So that they may be saved. That's what's so important. Or when the judgment comes, will I be found wanting? Look at verse 19. We'll be seen as the apostles' crown, glory and crown, when the Lord Jesus returns. What a privilege to be seen like that. In some parts of the world, this is happening. I was reading recently in in Mongolia. You know, Mongolia was uh, a very strong communist regime up until the 1990s when it became a parliamentary democracy. 
and Christian missionaries could enter the country and the Christians were free to express themselves. Now from virtually nothing, 2.1% of the population of Mongolia are Christians. They're sending missionaries out all over that part of the world. They're even going to North Korea because they've got access there. One example was a, a young man called uh, Tizogo. He was a student. Uh, he's now a professor of physics at uh, Kovod University, it's a state university. He had no Christian background at all. He knew nothing. But a friend of his came back from travelling to another city and he returned home with a strange book. And he got a new faith. And his friend encouraged him to read the Bible. And quite soon he became fascinated by what was going on, by the person of Jesus. A few years later, Sogu became a Christian. And he committed himself to acquainting his fellows around him. Eventually he became a professor, but that longing didn't stop. He still runs Bible studies for young people where he teaches the Word of God. What God can do with ordinary men and women who are really sold out to living for him. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you very much that you've given us your word. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for the example of men like Paul, who saw it as their duty, not just to receive the word, but to let it change them and then to go out with it to others in society. Lord, please help us here to be the sort of people you've chosen us to be. For Christ's sake. Amen. Amen.